Okay, thank you. Thank you, Christy. Um, great to see everybody. Good morning. Uh, let's go into prayer, and then we'll dive into the message. So bow your heads. Join me in a word of prayer. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thanks for today. Thank you for a time and a place where we can come together and learn more about you. Uh, Holy Spirit, fill this place uh, like a flame. Rest upon my tongue. Give me the words you want me to speak. Allow everyone here to have soft hearts and open minds to receive the message you want them to hear. God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. It is so hard to follow babies and kids on stage. Let me tell you, it's very intimidating because that's like the high point of the sermon and the message today. But we want to take a few moments to share with you. I come from a very, very large church in Texas. This is a very large church in Silicon Valley. And our, our, our design and our purpose has always been come and see. Come and see. You know, you go to your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. Come and see. Come to these four walls on a Sunday and see what we have to say and hear the gospel and, and, and worship together and all those things. And we'll continue to do that. But the church is changing. It's coming out of the pandemic. It's never going to be the, the way that it was. And in this new day and age, we've been preparing you to tell you how the church is changing. We will still do come and see, but we are now going to focus on go and tell. Go and tell, go and tell. And that's where we all come into play right here, right now. My message today is going to be on preparing the way. And it's what everybody has wanted to know over the last four to five weeks. What are we talking about? Well, today is it. We're going to lay out the pathway that we want everyone here to take as we come and see and we all get prepared and we go and tell others about Jesus. I'm going to have a lot of scripture for you up on the screens. I have it right here in my notes. So we're going to go into Luke 10. We're going to talk about pathways. As Jesus sends out the 72 disciples to prepare the way for the coming of the kingdom. So let's start. Verse 1. The Lord chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs. If you're taking notes, circle the word pairs. I have a lot of words I'm going to have you circle today. Pairs. He sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places that he planned to visit. These were the front runners. These were the people preparing the way for Jesus. Now, someone later in the service after me is going to describe pairs more. But think accountability, strength in numbers, safety, all those kinds of things. He said, go out in pairs. Verse 2. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray, circle the word pray, to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. So he's saying, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send more workers, more laborers. So we're going out in pairs, and we're going to pray. We're going to pray for our journey. We're going to pray for people. We're going to pray for our community to see where God wants us to go. Verse 3. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Now focus on that for a second. We come here where it's all comfortable, and we meet, and we greet, we hug, we worship, we do all those things. But we're going out. We're going out as lambs among wolves. We're going out in our communities where, where some people know Christ, some people don't. And we're going to go out and we're going to deliver the message. So he says, hey, be wise, be prepared. I'm sending you out. Here we go. Verse 4, don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. So he's saying provisions. You see the words now, they all start with P. Us, we pastors spend a lot of time on that. They're all P words today, okay? Don't worry about your provisions. God says, don't worry about packing a bag. Don't worry about, are you going to be fed? Are you going to have something? To, just don't worry about it. Don't burden yourself with other things. Just go out in pairs. Go out and pray. I'll take care of your provisions. Verse 5. Whenever you enter someone's home... 
First say, may God's peace be on this house. So we're going to deliver a blessing of peace. Now here's where the whole sermon today, you're going to hear this a lot. The person of peace. Everyone say, person of peace. Good job. The whole goal for today is to identify and find the person of peace. Now, we will start to be this as we head out in our pairs as we pray without provisions, looking for the person of peace. You will find, yeah, it's pretty good, isn't it? Okay, so you will find this person. You guys already know, your oikos, your group of people that you have influence over, your seasonal group of influence. Neighbors, family members, coworkers. That is your group. You're gonna find that person of peace. Who's a person of peace? Someone who likes to host people, have people over, hang out in the front yard, the backyard. You guys already know who they are. These are the people who are going to be the person of peace. We'll go into that in a little bit as well. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they're not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eat and drink what they provide. What he's saying here is when you find the person of peace, let's say it's in your neighborhood. Let's say it's at the gym. Let's say it's at Pete's or Starbucks, wherever your group of people are. When you find this person, they will provide hospitality. They will take care of what you need in order to start to deliver your message. And it's a message of peace. You're going to plant seeds. Verse 8, when you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. 9, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. Okay, so here's the point of the whole thing. Once we've gone in Paris, we've prayed, provisions are taken care of, we find the person of peace, we're hanging out with this this person now. Could be a break room at work. Wherever your group is, when we hang out, we have the person for hospitality. And when it says, heal the sick, tell, tell them the kingdom of God is near, this is when you minister to people. You help them. Some people may need help with um, a struggle they're having at work. Somebody may need help at their house. It, it can be a multitude of things, but you are loving them unconditionally. You're caring for them. You're beginning to help them to understand that you are going to deliver a message to them, which is the kingdom of God is near. Eventually, you're going to get to where you're going to open a Bible study. You're going to open a Bible. You're going to read the Scripture. Your job is not to close the deal. Your job is to drop and supply the seed. Okay, let's continue. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out in its streets and say, we wipe even the dust of your town from our feet to show that we have abandoned you to your fate. And know this, the kingdom of God is near. What what he's saying here is this. Go to where God is blessing. I've done 25 years of ministry. I've tried to say, God, bring your favor over here. Bless this. That is not how it works. Now we pray, and we all pray that God will continue to bless and provide his favor and all those things. But look for where God is already blessing. Look for where God is saying, look, hey, I've got this place set up for you, and here's a person of peace, and here's an opportunity. This person has a network. They're looking for a community group, a a group of people to come together. Maybe they have young kids. They need help with parenting, all those kinds of things. Whatever the case may be, go to where God has his hand of favor. Now, next are verses 12, 13, 14, and 15. I'm going to ask you guys to go home tonight, read Luke Luke chapter 10. But 12, 13, 14, 15 are warnings. They're warnings to the cities that are not listening or obeying or welcoming God. You guys can read those. We're going to drop down to 16 now. 16 says this. Then he said to the disciples, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. Anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. Now, visualize this. 
We've done a lot of mission trips around the world. We're, we're at the southern tip of Spain, and as people come up out of Africa on summer vacation, they're driving through the port, and we're handing out Bibles through the windows of cars. We hand them out. Some people say thank you. Some people throw them back at us. Some people spit at us. It was, very, it was, it was an aggressive uh, opportunity, believe me. But here was the deal. As people would encourage us each and every day, it was, hey, you're just providing a seed. You're planting a seed. You're doing what you can with what you have. God will do the rest. Remember, he will seal the deal. You are just starting. You're starting the group. You found the person of peace, and you are just planting seeds. Verse 17. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Your name. I once heard a uh, sermon from a guy named Marcos Witt. He's one of the great pastors in South America. And the whole sermon was, just say the name. Just say the name, Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. Good. It's not my name. It's not your name. It's not your neighbor's name. It's in the name of Jesus. Just say the name. Just call upon the name. Guess what? Good and evil can't be together at the same time. So when you call upon the name of Jesus who says, I will never leave you or forsake you, when he comes, evil flees. That's how it works. And the whole point of this verse is, the Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name, the name of Jesus. Verse 18, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. 19, look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. You can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Now, as I was walking with Dan last week, he thought a great opportunity to explain how this authority and this power works is imagine a credit card. Raise your hand if you have a credit card. Uh-huh, should be just about everybody. Okay, so here's the deal. I am named after my grandpa. I named my son after my dad. We're all Robert Robinsons. There's four of them, just boom, 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 boom. It was real confusing, but with credit cards, it's super handy. So as I head off to college, my dad gives me his credit card. I had already earned my own money. I had my own account. I had all my stuff. But he said, hey, if you get in trouble, you can use my card. You don't have the authority. You haven't earned it. You don't deserve it. But if you need it, you can use it. And it was a beautiful example that Dan gave me that was, that's, how, that's what this verse is telling us. It's not our name. It's Jesus' name. And when we need his power, we need his authority, we need his favor, whatever we need, we can call upon it. And just like my father gave it to me on earth, your heavenly father gives it to you as well. You have that authority. You have that power. Use it when you need to use it. Now, I'm getting ready to turn this over to our next speaker, but I, I tried to make this easy for you guys. So if you forgot the last 10 minutes, look on the screen. Here's all you need to know. First P word is pair. You're going to go out in groups of two. You're going to pray for the laborers. Pray for the harvest because the workers are few. You're going to offer a blessing. That's peace because your purpose is to heal the sick. It's to proclaim the gospel and use power in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm going to turn this over to someone who's going to explain how to find the person of peace. This is one of our, ministry, our global ministry partners. His name is Nadim Costa. He's been doing this for eight years. And he started with a church of like 12 to 14 people. That's the size of our oikos, remember, our group of influence. And in eight years, he's grown his church to almost 300,000 people. Check out this video with Nadine. Finding or identifying a person of peace is not going to be a, a first result of just going there. It's something that uh, will come out, out of a way of living 
uh, uh, in that community. We start building relationship and serve the community then and pray for the harvest because this is the second part of the command. Pray for the laborers rather uh, for, for, the har- for the harvest. Then uh, uh, the result will be a person of peace will uh, sort of emerge uh, uh, out of what we are doing. When Jesus said, go out, make disciples, baptize, and teach them to obey. Making disciples means model it for them. The key issue for us in terms of ministry, discovery of Bible studies, person of peace, name it, anything you want, starts with one thing. It starts with you. It starts with the way you live, like Fuad said. Living out the Shema. The Shema is not only for the people of Israel in the Old Testament. It's a, it's a law, it's a practice by which, by which we all live. So at the beginning, the person of peace is simply you. You are the person of peace. You are the among the 72 that Jesus sent out. You are the one who's praying like for out there, who's going out to find the harvest, praying for the harvest, serving the harvest. At that point of time, you will start to find persons of peace. Now, that person, we're not looking at somebody who's going to show up in all different ways. You can tell when somebody is receptive, is open, and is connected mainly can invite people, can love on people, can read. I mean, you go into a neighborhood and somebody will know everyone, right? Also, they, they will be willing to share what they're learning, to tell the story that they're experiencing, to, uh, to invite their own family members into, uh, into that community. You can, you can uh, start telling uh, out of the, the way of uh, living within the community, you, you can start telling who the, who the person of peace is. Thank you. So that was uh, Nadim Costa and uh, one of our other staff members, uh, Fuad, um, from Lebanon. And so, uh, like, like Rob said, that God is using Luke 10 in the modern day in just amazing ways. And uh, so for a moment, I, I wanted to take us back to Christie's prayer on Afghanistan and pray for that country. That is the second fastest growing church in the world, as far as I know. Uh, very small, but it's growing very rapidly. And effectively, all the national leaders just got a giant field promotion. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, let me just say a real quick prayer for the church. Father God, we, we ask that uh, you bless the people of, of uh, Afghanistan, that um, with all this evil and all the uh, change and uncertainty, um, that you would be glorified, that as we've seen in other parts of the Middle East, you would use that to draw people to you. Give these leaders that were being trained by missionaries um, special provision in discernment and understanding to provide leadership for their country. In your name, amen.
So, you know, last week, our friend Danny had this uh, joke where he was talking about fire hose. Today is really a fire hose because Rob and I and David were realizing, and we may do this, if we, we need to turn this into like a two-part podcast or something because we're, we're hitting a few high points in a couple of uh, chapters here that are so fundamental in terms of how God laid out the strategy for evangelism and missions, especially in our day. It's, it's remarkable. Um, so what I'd like to do is, is use Acts 19, um, and specifically that's on um, Paul and Barnabas in, um, in Ephesus. So, so that's where we're gonna be today. Let me just give you a little bit of background on Ephesus. In, in those days, Ephesus was the third largest city in the world. It was estimated that they had about 250,000 people at the time. As contrast, Rome was the largest with 450,000 people. Uh, it was also the capital of uh, the province of Asia for the Roman Empire, which is essentially Western Turkey. And that's where so much of the natural resources that, that fueled the Roman Empire were actually came from. So wood and uh, produce, wool, all those types of things. And so this, Ephesus was a large trading town. So you had, it was very multicultural, multilingual. They would have, they had at least eight sectors in the, in the city. And um, you'll probably see on a slide here in a second, a picture of what Ephesus looks like today. But um, there we go. That's the library in Ephesus that you see there. Um, but it was a big trading center, and so the, the way Roman cities were organized is you would have different sectors, and each sector would have the native language of, the, of a particular culture. So you would have a Roman sector, you'd have a Greek sector, you'd have a Jewish sector, you might have um, a um, Persian sector, etc. And And so the, the markets in each of those areas would speak the language of the people that were in that area. Sound familiar? Um, and then spiritually, of course, like most major cities, you would have Jews and there would be a synagogue. But Ephesus was the center of what was called magic. In those days, we would say it's the occult. So um, all kinds of occultish type things were done there. On top of that, this was where they worshiped uh, Diana. So the, Diana, the Temple of Diana was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So that, that was all in that, in that area. So when uh, Paul walks in to Ephesus, that's kind of what he's up against. So he, it turns out, had a strategy that he followed from each city that he went to. And you'll see this through his missionary journeys. And when I point it out to you, you'll go back and read Acts and you go, oh yeah, he did it here, he did it here, he did it here. It had differing results. Ephesus was the, the best result, right? He spent three years there and spread the word to the entire uh, province of Asia, which was about two to three million people at the time. In two years, he was able to do that, um, spread it to the rest of the, of the uh, province. So, his first step was he would go to um, the synagogue. He always went to the synagogue first. And when he would go there, he, 
he was really looking not for the Jews, but for what are called the God-fearers. And so within the, the synagogue, you would have three types of people. You would have the Jews, you'd have proselytes who were the Gentiles that had converted to Judaism, and that means they had been circumcised and they were, um, they were adhering to all the dietary restrictions. And the God-fearers were those who were really attracted to God, very interested in God, but hadn't gotten up f feeling like, okay, I need to go under the knife and, uh, uh, and I, I have to give up my favorite foods and I have to adopt all these strange uh, foods, these kosher foods that the uh, Israelites uh, use. So, so that's, what, that's what he would do, step number one. Um, and so Acts 17, 17 is an example of that. He went to the synagogue to read, to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. So that was, that was his step number one, was to build relationships with those God-fearers. In terms of our strategy, you could say he had developed a really, really good pathway for God-fearers, which is there's a way to God that doesn't require circumcision and dietary restrictions, basically, you know, and so he would, he would love on these people and build relationships with them. And then um, ultimately at, at uh, the second phase, the Jews at some point would say, we're done with you, get out of the synagogue. And then Paul would follow the, um, the God-fearers to the other sectors of the city. And so you can see that in Acts 13, 46 and 49. Then Paul and Barnabas said, spoke out loudly and declared, it was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews, but since you've rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer to the Gentiles. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message and a halt who were chosen for eternal life became believers. So the Lord's message spread throughout the region. And what would happen as, he, as they would follow these God-fearers to these other sectors is that um, they would be a network of home churches. Um, this followed the, the example of, of Jerusalem. There's no um, historical record of any large church until AD 380 when Constantine, you know, made, made um, Christianity the official religion of, um, of the Roman Empire. Uh, before that, it was, it was ju just a network of small, small house churches um, that, that were all connected. So when, when Paul would write his, his epistle to, the, to Ephesus, um, it would be to the network of, it would be to the ecclesia, right? Because there would, there would probably be many hundreds of house churches across all these sectors. So that's, that's what he would do. Um, and then another interesting thing is that in his sermons, you'll see that when he's with the Jews, he, he really talks a lot more about Old Testament and builds off of that and the prophecies that talk about Jesus, etc. But when he gets in with the, the Gentiles, the message is completely different. Um, and it also involves a lot more 
miracles and things like that. So, for example, in Acts 19, 11, and 12, you see God gave Paul the, the power to perform unusual miracles when handkerchiefs or aprons that were merely that merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of diseases, and evil spirits were expelled. He wasn't a namby-pamby guy, by the way. The handkerchiefs are actually the rags that he would use in his trade of uh, tent, uh, uh, tent building. And, and the aprons were his tool belts, not, <laughs> not uh, like he was really into cooking or anything like that. So, so that uh, doesn't really matter, but for me it was interesting. So anyway, that was his second step, was follow those God fears and then use their relationships, as, um, as Nadim and Fuad were saying, is that um, as they introduce you to people, you bless them, you bless their friends, and then you see where God wants to work. And, and that's what they would do. That's how they built up this network of house churches. And then his third step was that, and he wasn't out looking for this, but there were times when they, he would come against strongholds, and strongholds had to be torn down. And in, uh, in the Bible, in Ephesus, we know of three of these major um, spiritual warfare type things. One of the ones I, I just wanted to, in the interest of time, I'm not going to even explain what happened outside of, you can look in Acts 19, 13 through 20, to the seven sons of Sceva. In some ways, it's hilarious, um, but... Um, when this, this, con, when, when this um, battle was done, the story of what happened quickly sp- spread through all of Ephesus to the Jews and the Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them in a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars in today's money. Uh, So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. They saw the occult essentially as a counterfeit version of God's power. When they saw God's power, it was like, wow, you know. Uh, But that's, strongholds have to be broken down in in cities. And there there are strongholds in any, any large city. And then finally, Paul's fourth step was to train and equip leaders and church planters. And so here we have in Acts 19, 9 through 10, so Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannius. They went on for the next two years, so people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of God. So in two years while he was doing this, um, he was able to build up a team of church planners and, and uh, evangelists and things like that to cover this population of two or three million. Uh, so when we think of 25 years or a generation to go after Silicon Valley of only four, that's a piece of cake, right? <laughs> the, other, the other thing that he did here is that this uh, lecture hall of Tyrannius um, other historical documents say that that probably was um, a medical school. And in those days, because, because of the heat, they had a, about a five-hour siesta in the middle of the day. So they'd work in the morning, 
and then in the evening. And so in the middle of the day, um, this lecture hall wasn't being used. So Paul established a partnership with you know, this guy and was able to use this infrastructure from the city uh, in order to further the gospel. So, so those are the, um, the four steps that he would go through in every, every place that he went. And so as we look at um, the things that God had taken us through, we, really, we realized that there was a lot of similarities between the cities back then and the cities now, actually, in terms of multicultural, multilingual. Um, and then we have to look at, well, so where are those persons of peace today? So in the next slide, you're gonna see an intentionally um, small set of dots, and those dots represent the addresses of people that come to, and they're that small so that nobody can, there's no private information that can be seen from all, all of what's behind you. But those dots are people that come to Calvary, families that come to Calvary on a regular basis. It might be for youth basketball, it might be for Playhouse Calvary, and it might be for uh, Kitty Campus. You know, when you zoom in on this thing, what you realize, if you live in Los Gatos, Saratoga, Campbell, Western San Jose, these people probably live within a couple blocks of you. They're not Calvary attenders, by the way. These, these don't include Calvary attenders. But your neighbors have a relationship here with Calvary. So they're the ones, when, you're, when you start as a person of peace looking for those shoots that Nadine was talking about, they probably live one or two blocks from you or go to your same office. So that's where we need to be looking when we look at Silicon Valley. Well, greetings to all of you, both online and, and in person in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, and you should be happy to see me because that means we're almost done. <laughs> all right, so um, after prayer and listening to God through his word, there are a couple of points wanted to share with you today about our vision uh, in our generation introducing Silicon Valley to Jesus. First, Luke 10, 1, as Rob covered a little bit, states that Jesus sent his followers out two by two. And you, you could ask, well, why two by two? Maybe one by one in more territory. Jesus dwells with each one of us. But Matthew 18, 19 through 20 states, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. So when we gather in Jesus' name, something amazing happens, something significant. We experience his presence among us as we reflect Jesus to each other. We speak his words to each other. We're his arms and feet. We're his face to each other. And in my experience at Calvary Church, it's, it's in our gathering with others that, that I've seen, in, in his name, that I've seen uh, and I've had the privilege of praying with people who've made a decision to, to accept Jesus as Savior and, and follow them as captain of their lives. And when we gather 
with someone, for example, in a small group Bible study or in our youth programs, um, that's, that's something significant. It's when we gather in his name, Jesus, he shows up, he's present with us, just as he says. Second, um, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, he says, or the scripture says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three, st- three strands is not quickly broken. So, introducing people to Jesus, introducing Silicon Valley to Jesus, it's not always easy. And these are some very practical, uh, this is a very practical thing that Jesus has instructed us to do because alone, one can grow cold in faith. Alone, we can become distracted. Two, uh, we can spur each other on, we can encourage each other, stay focused, and we can watch out for each other. Two are better than one just as Jesus instructed us to do. And in Silicon Valley, as we're working with others, we shouldn't limit ourselves to gathering people, gathering with people just like us. Um, When people of of different races, cultures, socioeconomics, even politics, even sports, uh, when they gather together in Jesus' name, it's a powerful display of the unity that we have in Jesus. And how happy do you think Jesus would be to, to see people who are different from each other gathering together in his name, gathering and agreeing on what they should ask from Jesus? I'll throw this one out there. What, how amazing would it be, you think, if everybody who followed Jesus in Silicon Valley got together and worshiped in one place? That, wouldn't that be incredible? The second point, First um, John 4, 8, I want to share this with you as well. It says, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So Calvary Church, as we organize, as we mobilize, you know, no matter how knowledgeable we are, no matter how servant-hearted we are, sacrificial, you know, First Corinthians 13 says, even if we have faith that could move mountains, If we're not loving, if we don't actually love the person in Silicon Valley that we want to introduce to Jesus, then we gain nothing, nothing. So, and how odd would it be for someone to hear the gospel without realizing how loved they are, right? That, That would just be strange. And caring for people, it's, it's, inconvenient. It's time-consuming sometimes, right? But if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to make the time. And in Silicon Valley, where people are so busy, time is so precious, one way that we can love is to take the time to, to listen to people, to ask questions about what they care about, and even pray for them. And in doing so, uh, we're, we're, not, we're showing that they're not just valued for their, 
their talent, but they're valued because they're made in the image of God. And we're, we're offering something that's very hard to find in Silicon Valley, patience, kindness. So as we share the good news that, and I'm gonna take this from Romans 10:9. if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved as we proclaim that. Uh, let's remember why God sent Jesus in the first place to us. Because God so loved us. God so loves the people in Silicon Valley. Thank you for listening.